Mark Zuckerberg told The New Yorker the news source he definitely follows is TechMeme. So listen to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast, the podcast anyone who's anyone in Silicon Valley listens to every day. In just 15 to 20 minutes, you get a rundown of what happened in the world of tech with all the headlines, context, commentaries, and tweets from all the biggest players. New episodes every day at 5 p.m. Eastern. Search your favorite podcast app for Ride Home and subscribe to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Zenni offers thousands of affordable eyewear styles, starting at just $6.95. No ridiculous markups, no hassles, just quality, affordable eyewear delivered right to you. Visit Zenni today at zenni.com slash CNN. Good evening. We begin tonight, keeping them honest, with a tale of two White Houses. One where the threat Russia poses to American elections is real, and one where the opposite seems true. The question is, and given all we've seen and heard over the last year and a half, it's a valid one to ask, Which White House does President Trump inhabit? Today's press briefing was a show of force by top members of the president's own counterintelligence and national security team, and they did not mince words. The intelligence community continues to be concerned about the threats of upcoming U.S. elections, both the midterms and the presidential elections of 2020. In regards to Russian involvement in the midterm elections, We continue to see a pervasive messaging messaging campaign by Russia to try to weaken and divide the United States. Well, that was Director of National Intelligence Dan Coates. The Director of Homeland Security, uh, uh, Kirsten uh, Nielsen, was equally blunt. Our democracy itself is in the crosshairs. Free and fair elections are the cornerstone of our democracy, and it has become clear that they are the target of our adversaries who seek, as the DNI just said, to sow discord and undermine our way of life. I fully share the intelligence community and the ODNI's assessments, past efforts, past efforts and those uh, today to interfere with our election and of the current threat. Democracy in the crosshair, Secretary Nielsen said, and here's the FBI director, Chris Wray, the one President Trump himself appointed. This is a threat we need to take extremely seriously and to tackle and respond to with fierce determination and focus. So that sounds very clear. In fact, more than clear, Trump appointees in the briefing room of the White House with the president's blessing, speaking out in no uncertain terms about the ongoing threat from Russia to American democracy. And there's absolutely nothing they said today that diverges much from the consensus view of experts in and out of government that Russia remains a threat. What makes it so interesting, however, is the gulf between what these top advisors and cabinet members are willing to say and what their boss has been willing to say. Is Russia still targeting the U.S. Thank you very much. Let's go. Make your way out. That's the president. Shortly after the Helsinki summit, the White House later claimed the president didn't mean no, they aren't targeting the U.S. still. He meant no as in no, I don't want to take any more questions. The reporter who asked the questions said the president was looking right at her, answering no twice to her questions. The cleanup was also required after the Helsinki summit press conference. The president later claiming he meant to say wouldn't instead of would. Though even in that cleanup effort, the president said it could also be others besides Russia meddling. And since then, the president has gone back to calling the Russia story a hoax and the Russia investigation rigged. Today, the distance between the president's reluctance to call out Russia and his national security team's willingness to was noticeable. It was striking enough to prompt this question and a really fascinating answer I want you to hear from DNI Coates. In the run-up to the Helsinki summit, 
U.S. officials, uh, ambassador, ambassadors to NATO, ambassadors to Russia, said that the president would raise the issue of a malign activity with President Putin. He didn't discuss that, at least at the press conference. You're saying today that the president has directed you to make the issue of election meddling a priority. How do you explain the disconnect between what you are saying, his advisors, and what the president has said about this issue? I'm not in a position to either understand fully or uh, talk about what happened at Helsinki. I'll turn it over to the national security director here uh, to, to address that question. I just want to emphasize what you just heard. The director of national intelligence, when asked about President Trump's behavior in Helsinki, said, quote, I'm not in a position to either understand fully or talk about what happened in Helsinki. It's a pretty stunning statement. Either Dan Coates cannot talk about what he knows or he truly does not have the full picture about what was discussed behind closed doors, which echoes something that he said publicly days ago. After he made that statement, Mr. Coates turned things over to John Bolton, who repeated what Vladimir Putin said at the Helsinki press conference, that election meddling was the first issue President Trump raised with him. Keep it honest, though, we only have Vladimir Putin's word for that. John Bolton didn't say that the president told him everything he said behind closed doors. He's just saying what Vladimir Putin said publicly. So it's not even clear if John Bolton knows everything that was discussed by the president and Vladimir Putin. It's not clear anyone does except perhaps Vladimir Putin. As for the president, he spoke out at a rally tonight again, talking about how tough he's been on Russia, but also again saying things like this. Now we're being hindered by the Russian hoax. It's a hoax. I'll tell you what, Russia's very unhappy that Trump won. That I can tell you. Well, that's not what Vladimir Putin said at the press conference. He said he wanted Mr. Trump to win. More now on all this from CNN's Jim Acosta at the White House. Jim, do you have any understanding as to why the press briefing on this topic happened now? Well, Anderson, we were told earlier in the day that uh, the president directed those officials to come out into the briefing room and say all of those things, uh, how they're on the case when it comes to Russian meddling interference uh, in U.S. elections. But Anderson, as you noted there a few moments ago, the president had a golden opportunity uh, to drive that point home at this rally in Pennsylvania uh, earlier this evening, and he just didn't do it. Uh, as you said, he defended his summit with Vladimir Putin in Helsinki uh, and said that uh, Vladimir Putin uh, and the Russians are unhappy that he's the president of the United States when Vladimir Putin admitted to reporters there at the summit uh, that he wanted Donald Trump to win. And so uh, there is this huge disconnect. We all could uh, feel it in the in the briefing room earlier today, and that is why you saw so many reporters asking that question. Yes, it was I'm sure uh, very assuring to a lot of Americans out there to hear the director of national intelligence, the FBI director, the Homeland Security secretary to say they're on the case. But uh, looming over everything in the room, Anderson, is the fact that the president has said all sorts of things to diminish uh, the Russian threat in the past. Remember, it was just last month when he said it it could be other countries, not just Russia. Uh, That is just so opposite of what uh, we heard from his top officials at that briefing today. And it was just yesterday from the same podium that Sarah Sanders called the Mueller investigation into Russian meddling a hoax, wasn't it? That's right. And, and as a matter of fact, uh, she echoed what the president was saying. The president uh, tweeted uh, this attack at uh, the FBI, went after uh, former officials in the FBI, including uh, Jim Comey, uh, sort of once again going after the institution of the FBI. Uh, Sarah Sanders repeated that during the briefing yesterday. And it was interesting to note that one of the reporters in the briefing today uh, pressed uh, the FBI director for an answer to all of that. And in the presence of Sarah Sanders in the room with him at the same time, Chris Ray said uh, that his agents from the top on down 
are determined to do their jobs and carry out their duties. I thought it was a very interesting moment because it was somebody in the administration essentially saying, no, Mr. President, no, Sarah Sanders, what you're saying is not true. Is there any indication that the president is willing to embrace more fully the findings of the intelligence chiefs uh, who, you know, he's now appointed, who say that Russia is a very real threat heading into the elections this fall? Uh, there, there's no evidence of that, Anderson. And, and that was what was, I mean, it was, I think it was awfully good that you saw a lot of those officials come into the room yesterday, or excuse me, earlier today, and say uh, all of these things about how they're going to try to stop uh, Russian meddling in the in the 2018 midterms. You know, you heard the uh, the FBI director, you heard the Homeland Security uh, Secretary all saying that there are these all these new initiatives and task forces aimed at uh, stopping uh, cyber attacks uh, on on our democracy. But what was missing in all of this was something from the president of the United States to have a, an anonymous official, as we heard earlier today, say, well, the president sent those, those officials out there. I, I don't think that that's going to be good enough for a lot of Americans out there, Anderson. And then when the president had this opportunity this evening uh, to, to say, you know, listen, I did this. I sent these officials out there. We're going to stop this. He just didn't do it. It was another opportunity missed. Anderson. Tim Acosta, appreciate it. Thanks very much, you Jim. Joining sure. us now, seen in global affairs analyst Max Boot, also seen in legal and national security analyst and former FBI special agent Ashwin Gapa and Phil Mudd, a former senior official at the FBI and uh, CIA. Um, it is interesting that just this disconnect that, that seems to take place and, and that the president kind of reiterated tonight in this speech after his, uh, you know, his national security team came forward and were so clear about Russia's involvement. Well, I think the fact that the president continues to uh, refuse to acknowledge this is exactly why the intel chiefs had to do this. When you have a threat from a for, uh, foreign adversary, an attack, you need the United States to speak with one voice, and that voice usually comes from the president of the United States, to say, this is who we are, this is what our values are, and this is especially important when there's misinformation, when a part of the attack is a misinformation campaign. The president, consciously or not, is actually doing Putin's work for him. He is echoing and amplifying the divisive messages that Putin is hoping to sow and the delegitimizing rhetoric. So I think that part of fighting back is for these intel chiefs is to make this public statement. Phil, I mean, you worked at both the CIA uh, and, and the FBI in, in your long career. Um, does it really matter th whether or not the president is echoing what the national security apparatus is saying, as long as you have, you know, you have Chris Ray, you have DNI Coates, you have Secretary Nielsen, uh, you have John Bolton, all saying, you know, pointing out at Russia and saying, we're aware of this, we're working on this, we're doing everything we can for the, to make sure, you know, the sanctity of the voting process r r remains. Yeah, time out, Anderson. Ninety-five percent of Americans, I'm going to bet, couldn't name one of the people who spoke today. They can't name the national security advisor and they can't name cabinet members. They can name the president of the United States, and he has at least two major responsibilities here, well beyond the intel that people like me who used to be in the, on the inside would ask him to do. Number one, what is the message to Vladimir Putin when we see this happening? But only a week or two ago after Helsinki, the president told Vladimir Putin, why don't you come visit the White House? I can tell you the consequences of I'm Vladimir Putin are nothing. If the Russians continue to this, the answer to uh, Trump is, sure, I'll go visit the White House, and we don't even have to talk about this. One final point more significant, the domestic message the president has to send. In New York, you live in New York, Anderson. After 9-11, the governor, the mayor, time and time again said the FBI, the New York Police Department have some secret work to do. But if you see something, say something. The governor and the mayor had a message to the American people. 
regarding Facebook and Twitter and Russian intervention and what Facebook has talked about this week, what has the president said to the American people and who is the messenger to the American people? I don't see one, Anderson. Max, I mean, if this were so important, should the president have have been there or echoed this at least tonight saying, you know, I've, I'm standing, I, I totally agree with what my intelligence said, and, as opposed to saying, talking about it, a hoax? Well, of course, Anderson, but it's clear that the president does not agree with what his intelligence chiefs are saying because you just played the clip just a few minutes ago. He continues to call this a hoax, whereas his intelligence chiefs are saying, no, this is a major danger to the United States. I thought one of the most inadvertently revealing lines uh, from the uh, press conference today was when John Bolton said the president has made very clear what his priorities are. Now, by that, I think Bolton meant that he has a priority of focusing on Russia, but in fact, the president has made very clear that his priority is not to focus on the Russian threat. He only views this through the prism of his own political self-interest. He doesn't care about getting to the root of the Russian interference in the 2016 election or preventing Russian interference in the future. All he cares about is saving his own political skin, which is why he and other senior officials have now taken to referring to the Mueller, Mueller probe as a rigged witch hunt, which is delegitimizing the investigation and essentially doing Vladimir Putin's work for him. You know, Ashraf, I've talked to General Michael Hayden, I've talked to uh, Director Clapper, all say that having the president be the one... Uh, you know, on top of all his uh, national security apparatus, directing all of their efforts. Because we've heard from each of these people individually. Chris Ray has testified in front of Congress about what the FBI is doing to try to counter Russia in the upcoming elections. We've heard certainly Dean I. Coates and others express concerns. But people who have worked in intelligence agencies and the FBI all say that it is critical for the president to be the one kind of setting the agenda and giving it all a sense of urgency and a coordination. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. So one of the things after 9-11, in light of the 9-11 Commission's recommendations, was to break down barriers in terms of sharing intelligence, create the Office of the Director of National Intelligence in order to bring all of these different perspectives that these agencies have so that good policy can be made, and that policy is made at the top by the President of the United States. Many things, like covert actions abroad, for example, have to be authorized by him in writing uh, with a finding that it's important to national security. So, in many ways, these agencies cannot act effectively without him getting on board, without him creating a coordinated strategy and telling them exactly what he wants them to do. Phil, did it jump out to you what DNI Coates said, that he doesn't understand fully what happened. He's not in a position to understand fully what happened at the summit or to, to talk about it. I mean, not yeah. being able to talk about it, I guess, but, but not understanding, I mean, not having been briefed or, you know, reli reliably been briefed by the president about exactly what the president said to Vladimir Putin. I, I just find that surprising. It, it is. And, and let me make this real for you for a moment, Anderson. If you, for example, there's a conversation in Helsinki between the president and Putin about election interference and Putin makes some specific representations about what he will or will not do. Let's take it further. Let's say there's a conversation about Syria and Russian engagement in Syria and Putin makes representations to the president. Who will verify what Putin says for the president? That's the director of national intelligence. For example, the DNI coming out of Helsinki ought to be saying, well, Putin said this, Mr. President. This is what we're seeing in the intelligence on Syria about what Russia is doing in Syria. This is what we're seeing after Putin spoke with you about Russian interference. He should be validating that as the director of national intelligence, what Putin said. But instead, what he told us, as you just reported, is he doesn't even know what happened. 
Max, you and I have spoken quite a bit about what happened in Helsinki. I'm wondering what do you make of what DNI Code said? I think it's, it's deeply disturbing, uh, Anderson, because, you know, this is a president who is accused very credibly of colluding with Russia during the 2016 campaign. And evidence of that is piling up. For example, the recent CNN report that Michael Cohen is prepared to testify that Donald Trump knew in advance about the June 9, 2016 meeting between the Russian emissaries and the Trump campaign. So this is a very unusual situation where you have a president who is suspected of working uh, with Russia to affect American democracy. And the same president is in an off-the-record meeting for two hours with the Russian president where nobody, including the director of national intelligence, knows what happened. This is not diplomacy as usual. This is very, very unusual and and very disturbing and and worrisome given the unique uh, vulnerability of of Donald Trump to potential Russian pressure. Mm. Max Boot, Ashrangapa, Filma, thanks very much. Coming up next, perhaps the most surprising revelation yet from Paul Manafort's trial, not about how much money he made from Ukraine, but how little money he had when he worked, went to work for Donald Trump. It's a riches to rags tale, and you'll hear it when we come back. There's also breaking news on alleged spy Maria Butina. New details about her less than subtle tradecraft and what it might say about how Russian intelligence actually operates in the U.S. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Our friends at Zenni Optical offer a huge variety of high-quality, stylish frames and state-of-the-art optics starting at just $6.95. You can get multiple frames with this great pricing for less than one pair elsewhere. Start building your eyewear wardrobe from the comfort of your own home at Zenni.com. With the latest trends in eyewear, available in hundreds of frame styles and materials, there isn't a better way to change it up for every season. Plus, Zenni offers prescription sunglasses at incredible prices. Visit Zenny today at zenny.com slash CNN. That's Z-E-N-N-I dot com slash CNN. It's breaking news tonight. Day three of the Paul Manafort trial now over. It was dominated by a prosecution witness who told the jury that Manafort was in serious financial trouble in 2016 after his lobbying business dried up. That witness was Manafort's longtime bookkeeper who was full of details. So is our Jessica Schneider who joins me now. So Manafort, he was basically broke when he took the job on the Trump campaign. That's interesting. He was, and he was in serious financial trouble. That was according to the testimony of his bookkeeper. She was on the stand for several hours, and she talked about how strapped for cash he was after, like you said, his lobbying business in Ukraine dried up. It was so bad that he was in danger of losing his health insurance. And in one email, the bookkeeper said that she needed $120,000 urgently to pay some of his personal bills. And, you know, Anderson, we've been talking about this. It was really a stunning change of fortune for that man who was buying $15,000 ostrich coats, that he was now scrambling for money in 2016. And this, of course, was also right at the time that he joined the Trump campaign to work for free. And it was also at a time where he helped a bank executive at a bank who gave him a loan get a job with the Trump campaign, too. So these are all the details prosecutors are putting out there for the jury. So as much of this defense plans to paint Rick Gates, uh, his number two guy, as the bad guy, I understand the bookkeeper testified Manafort approved every expenditure. Is that right? That, yeah, her exact quote was, he approved every penny of everything we paid. And not only that, but the bookkeeper described some details about how Manafort lied to the bank. So prosecutors, they showed a side-by-side of documents. 
There was one where the book t uh, the bookkeeper told one bank that Manafort's company lost more than one million dollars in 2016. But Manafort, he sent the same person at that same bank a different financial statement saying that his company actually made three million dollars by around the same time period. So prosecutors, they're priming this jury with a lot of evidence to prove their charges that Manafort committed tax fraud and bank fraud too. And now the prosecution is saying Rick Edge will testify. Right. So a lot of questions yesterday. Will he or won't he after prosecutors sort of floated? They weren't sure. But they finally said that they will call Rick, Rick Gates. It could be as early as tomorrow or Monday. So that leaves the question, will Paul Manafort testify? And that's something the judge brought up today, saying Manafort, of course, won't be penalized for the right to remain silent. But since his defense team, they want to bring in evidence that Manafort was never audited by the IRS. And the judge said, hey, look, if you want that testimony, that evidence to come in, it would be much better if Paul Manafort testifies. So we'll mm. see. That's the next big question, Anderson. Right. Jessica Schneider, appreciate it. Still more breaking news. There's new information tonight about what that Russian woman arrested and charged with conspiracy and acting as a foreign agent. If, in fact, Maria Budina acted as charged, CNN Sarah Murray has some fascinating details about her skill set while associating with Republican politicians. A hint, she wasn't exactly subtle. Sarah, what are you learning? No, she wasn't exactly subtle, Anderson. Look, she uh, is innocent until proven guilty, but she is an alleged Russian spy. She didn't really use the kind of spy technology we might expect. She was communicating on Twitter. She was communicating on WhatsApp. In a number of instances, both with people her own age and also older men, she was so overt and so flirtatious that men walked away wondering what her ulterior motive was, what she wanted from them. And this gives you an indication of all the various ways that Moscow sort of runs its influence operations. At least that's what experts told me when I was asking them about her spy tactics. They said, look, Vladimir Putin has a, a number of seasoned operatives he can plant in the U.S. to run operations for him, but he also will tap people like Maria Butina uh, through other people he knows to sort of help him gain information, gain access in the U.S. That's what prosecutors say is going on in this case, Anderson. So did she talk about ties to, uh, to Russian intelligence? Uh, at any point? Uh, she did. And this is one of uh, the allegations that has come out against her um, from some of her classmates who wish to remain anonymous, that there were a couple of instances where she actually was intoxicated, according to sources who are familiar with this. And she talked about her ties to the Russian government. She talked about her ties to Russian intelligence. She talked about how she ran this gun rights group in Moscow and that it sort of had the buy-in uh, from Russian intelligence. And this was so alarming to some of the people she said it in front of, that on two separate instances, her classmates reported her to law enforcement. What's her lawyer, lawyer saying about the allegations? Well, her lawyer still insists that she is completely innocent. He says that she was just an American university student, that she was not a spy. She's pleaded not guilty to charges of conspiracy as well as acting as a foreign agent in the U.S. But he's also said uh, in other interviews that he believes that sexism and this anti-Russia sentiment, given the political climate now, are sort of tainting the case against her. He hasn't uh, fully made these arguments in court, but she's due back in uh in September. So we'll see if we hear more of this from him in the courtroom, Anderson. All right. Sir Murray, thanks very much. More breaking news next on who Robert Mueller wants to talk to now in his investigation. It's a name that goes back to the Trump Tower meeting with Russians during the campaign, and you might be surprised by it. Also, there's new insight into whether the president really wants to sit down with the special counsel or not. Could there be a method behind a choice talking to Mueller that some legal experts call not a great idea? Our legal team weighs in when 360 continues. 
Remember, to create an ad like this one, visit purewinning.com slash CNN. Russia's special counsel Robert Mueller wants to talk to the Russian oligarch and singer Sun who, pub- uh, who pushed for the 2016 Trump Tower meeting. Remember Aris and Emin Agalarov. Today, the father's attorney revealed that negotiations have been going on for nearly a year. So far, there's no agreement. Also tonight, there's breaking news from the president's TV lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. He once again saying that Team Trump is close to deciding whether the president will agree to do an interview. Giuliani telling Politico, quote, I think our decisions will get made in the next week to 10 days. As you know, the New York Times is reporting the president is actually eager to talk. Two views now on why that may be and how it might play out from CNN chief legal analyst Jeffrey Tubin and Trump biographer Michael D'Antonio. Jeff, do you think the president actually does want to sit down or is this could this be part of a strategy? I, I mean, it's probably both. Uh, I mean, you know, Donald Trump is nothing if not self-confident. He's also someone who's testified a lot. I right. mean, he's given a lot of depositions in civil cases. And, um, you know, he's mostly done better than than badly in those cases. Right. Everybody focuses on the Tim O'Brien t- case against The New York Times, but he's actually done well in, in depositions. Actually, and he's never been charged with perjury for anything he said uh, in those uh, in those depositions. So he has done well. I mean, most of these cases wind, have wound up settling rather than going to uh, a resolution. So I do think he's self-confident about his ability to handle a deposition, but also I think it's part of his brand not to be afraid of anything. Mm-hmm. And I think he wants to be perceived as someone who has nothing to hide, someone who will uh, testify. So so I, I, I think there is really a at least a measure of, of candor in what he's saying in this that he does want to testify. Michael, I mean, this seems to be how Donald Trump has approached a lot of situations in his life, believing that he can, you know, if he talks to somebody, he can convince them. I mean, there, there is, you know, he, he can be very charming when he wants to be. Uh, is that something he's 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 had all his life? It absolutely is a quality that he's exhibited all of his life. I only found really one example of an interview where he just couldn't bring anybody around and it was one of the early ones he did with time magazine and he bumped into a reporter who actually reminded me temperamentally of what people say about robert Mueller. he was a pretty upstanding straight ahead guy and trump just couldn't win him over but for the most part he is able to win people over he gets some uh relaxed. He charms them. I think he even surprises them when he's not super aggressive. So he could attempt that. And as Jeffrey noted, he's got experience in testifying, in doing depositions. He even, I think, imagines himself a bit of a lawyer himself. He's well, spent so much time with attorneys that he feels expert. And, and, and remember, if there is an interview with Mueller, there's not going to be a judge there. So he can filibuster. And, I mean, you've interviewed the then-candidate Trump. I mean, he just talks. And he talks and he talks and he talks. And that could eat up practically the whole interview. And I think he knows that. And there's not, and, and it, you know, a, a, just a prosecutor sitting there is not going to be able to say to him, stop talking. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he is in many respects going to be able to control what happens if there is an interview. Uh, th- again, that doesn't that doesn't mean it's necessarily a good idea for him. But, you know, he has a lot of tools at his disposal. I, I spoke to Alan Dershowitz last night, who has said, you know, he always tries to get clients not to do an interview like this in, in this kind of a situation. He talks about a perjury trap, that it's a perjury trap waiting to happen for, for the president. Does that 
ring true to you? Because if you're not lying, how is it a perjury I, trap? I, I, a perjury trap is, is, has always been a meaningless expression to me, because if you tell the truth, then you're not going to be in perjury. What Dershowitz is saying is, well, look, if there's somebody else, another witness who believes they're telling the truth, too, and it's a different version of the truth, or it's a different version of events than what the president is saying, then the prosecutors could go with that person's but, version. But, of it, you know, th- I, I have too much respect for Mueller and that, that they would simply bring a, you know, a, some sort of action. And remember, there's not going to be a criminal prosecution out of here. All that's going to come out of this is, is, a, is some sort of report. You know, the, the mere fact that two people have different recollections of an event does not create a perjury trap. That happens all the time. So, so the idea that, he's going, that there is some you know, legal trap being set. I think that's a bogus argument. Michael, according to the Times, the, the president feels that if he sits down with Mueller's team, he can convince them that their own inquiry is, is a witch hunt, which obviously seems very confident in his own mm. abilities to sway people. Of course, he's, he's ever confident. I think in this case, the stakes are much higher than the stakes he's faced in any litigation prior. So there is that factor to consider. And believe it or not, he does imagine himself to be the actual president of the United States. He doesn't act like it a lot, but he does, I think, have in mind his legacy. And so that could uh, move him to resist ultimately cooperating as as much as Robert Mueller would have him cooperate. He's going to be more careful than usual. Uh, Uncharacter- uncharacteristically careful, I think. But, but remember, too, what I think he's really trying to convince is the public, not so much the Mueller people. And, and he's been pretty effective. I mean, look at yeah. how Republicans have shifted over the course of the Mueller investigation. You know, his people have come around on Mueller to feeling it's a witch hunt. So I don't think he really believes that he's going to convince Mueller that, it, that he's engaged in a whip, witch hunt. But I do think he believes that at least his supporters will feel that way if they don't already. The, the, just lastly, I want, to, I want to ask you about the, that the, the reporting that the Mueller team uh, is seeking to interview this Russian pop star who was behind the uh, kind of the introductions and setting up the, the, the Trump Tower meeting. Um, how likely is it that that would actually happen? I mean, why would some Russian citizen do that. Well, you know, Emin Akularov, who is the pop star, who was the person who engineered the, the infamous Trump Tower meeting, he spends a lot of time in the United States. He grew up really in New Jersey. He's fluent in, in, in English, but he is not going to get within a million miles of this. And his father, Ag- Agus Akularov, who's really the money, who, who, who financed Miss Universe in Moscow in 2013, he's going to stay even farther away. So, you know, I don't, sure, I'm not surprised that the Mueller team is trying to get to them, but I wouldn't hold their breath if All right. they were them. Jeff Tubin, uh, Michael D'Antonio, thanks so much. Well, as we mentioned, President Trump is on the campaign trail again tonight. He's at a rally in Pennsylvania where among the crowd were more of those people who believe in conspiracy theories. They call themselves QAnon. Just ahead, we'll hear what they have to say. Release the document. I'm Andy Cass from March Madness 365, and on this edition of our show, I'll be joined by Syracuse's Tyus Battle. I've been just trying to improve all facets of my game, just being able to be more offensive, throwing the ball different ways. Shooting the ball, I think that's improved. And uh, just my playmaking ability as well. Subscribe to March Madness 365 now at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. At President Trump's rally tonight in Pennsylvania, scattered among the crowd are people who believe in some conspiracy theories that are so broad and often bizarre, it's difficult to believe to put it mildly. It's no longer an isolated thing. Take a look. The sign with a Q on it, it stands for QAnon. This video is from the presidential rally in Tampa two nights ago. 
Last night on the broadcast, we focused more closely on what the group believes in and their views from the fringes of American political thought. Tonight, we wanted to give them a chance to have their say, but because so much has been written about their reluctance to talk, we weren't sure what we would get when we sent Gary Tuckman to tonight's Trump rally. Gary joins us now. So what happened? Well, Anderson, the rally just ended a short time ago. People are now streaming out. Many of these people arriving early this morning, waiting in line. And like I said, yeah, we wanted to see if the people who followed this movement wanted to talk to us. And we found that they did want to talk to us. And what they told us was quite interesting. Waiting in line in a driving rain, very motivated Trump supporters wanting to see the president in person in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. We are cute. Some of those people wearing and holding the 17th letter of the alphabet. Are you holding a big red, white, and blue cue? Why do you have that? It's a movement, man. It's the shift. I can feel it coming. Some call it the Great Awakening. You're wearing a shirt that says QWWG1WGA. What does that mean? It means where we go one, we go all. QAnon is the people that believe in what Trump's trying to do to change our country. That is a generalization. More specifically, what QAnon is is a fringe movement in which many baseless conspiracy theories are discussed on the Internet organized around the idea of an anonymous but well-connected person or persons nicknamed Q. Your shirt says, the storm is here, QAnon. What does that mean to you? Well, I've been following all the posts since uh, October 28th. On the Internet, from QAnon. Right, the, on the person or people who say they're Q. Right. What do you think Q is, by the way? It's an entity of 10 or less people okay, that have... Um, Involved uh, with the government? High, high um, clearance, you know, security clearance. And how do you know that? Well, I'm just telling you, this is what it appears to be. What it appears to be. So you don't have any yeah. proof of that. That's what you're guessing it is. And you don't have any proof there isn't. We've all been uh, gathering online and talking together as as Americans and uniting. And do you think it's maybe just to make you comfortable talking with other frustrated, sometimes yes. angry people? Yes. But maybe it's not true because there's no evidence of it. It's just stuff being talked about on the Internet, right? There hasn't been any non-evidence yet. A major mantra among QAnon followers? The press is the enemy. You guys are... So you don't believe in the First Amendment? Oh, I totally believe in the First Amendment. Well, you don't. You just said the press is the enemy. Well, you guys are weaponized. You guys are totally weaponized by the CIA. What is that? You guys are weaponized by the CIA. By the CIA. I don't know anybody in the CIA except a couple of people I've interviewed over That's the years. Fair. Okay. But weaponized, what does that even mean? Like you say stuff that doesn't even mean anything. Um, the weaponized term by the CIA. Conspiracy theorists. The, the term Do you think I'm weaponized by the CIA? Maybe not to your knowledge, and it's that's really that's unfortunate. You believe there is a deep state. Yes. And what do you think that deep state's doing? You think they're running this country? I think they were, and they're petrified now. Right. Because they're losing their control. But Donald Trump's the president. He's running the country, right? Yeah, but he's having to fight against the I mean, he state. said he could do it all himself. Everything would be so easy when he came into office. And he, you think he's fighting with the deep state a year and a half into his term? I think he's been fighting since before he was elected. And who is in this deep state? Who are the people in it? Oh, I definitely believe that like the Clintons, the Bushes, the Obamas. So you think the Clintons, the Bushes, and the Obamas are running this country as we stand here in the rain? No, they're trying. The anonymous Q is a hero to many here. One man actually hoping to communicate with Q by looking straight into our camera. Is it possible you're believing bogus information, yes or no? Is it possible that I'm believing bogus information? Mm. I mean, let's see. Let's see, Q. Let's see. Gary, did you get the impression that, that large numbers of people who were lined up for the rally support the QAnon movement? Because obviously, you know, if there are thousands of people at a rally, what, what sort of numbers do you see? 
Yeah, I don't think it was large numbers, Anderson. A lot of people we talked to had no idea what it was. And other people just wanted to see Donald Trump. And some people just wanted to see a president of the United States with their children. So it seems like a relatively small number. What I will tell you is that it's catching on. And I would anticipate at future rallies we'll see more people holding big cues and wearing clothes with cues on them. Do, do the people you talk to believe that President Trump supports QAnon? Well, President Trump has never said anything about this organization. Also, if you could call it an organization, this internet fraternity. Sarah Sanders, the press secretary, was asked about it yesterday, and she did not give the indication at all that President Trump supports it. The contrary. However, each and every person I talk to who follows this does believe, fervently believes, that Donald Trump is a supporter, even though he hasn't said so. All right. Gary, appreciate you being there. Thank you. Joining me now is Will uh, Summer, reporter for The Daily Beast, who's been writing about QAnon pretty much since its inception. Appreciate you being with us. Do, do you have any idea how many followers QAnon actually has, how many people believe in these conspiracy theories? Because I certainly don't want to paint, you know, people, everybody who's at this rally with such a broad brush. As Gary was saying, it seems like it's a relatively small number of people who went to this rally. Certainly not. It, you know, it is hard to tell how many people believe in it. Certainly you wouldn't want to say everyone at the rally, everyone who's a diehard Trump supporter. But at the same time, the numbers, I mean, you know, at these rallies, we're seeing maybe a couple dozen QAnon believers. That's pretty bizarre, given what QAnon people believe. Uh, in April, there was a QAnon rally in D.C. I went to that. A couple hundred people showed up. They were chanting the QAnon slogans. Uh, so, you know, that was before this stuff really hit the mainstream over the summer and only in one city. So, it, you know, whatever it is, it is it is remarkable that so many people have uh, become convinced of this. And from what I understand, they have people who believe in the QAnon thing have a different belief of what the Robert Mueller investigation actually is. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So, you know, they interpret these clues that are posted online. And so they've come to believe that Robert Mueller is actually in league with Trump and a sort of ally of his and the idea that Mueller is investigating the Trump campaign is all sort of a ruse to cover up that Mueller is really investigating the likes of Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama. So why would Donald Trump be attacking the Mueller investigation? That's, that's all part of the, you know, the that's cover. all part of the ruse. I see. So, it, I mean, I understand a, a rival to Q has now emerged, someone who goes by the letter, or m multiple people go by the letter R. Is that right? That's right. So Q kind of disappeared in July. And so his followers, as you can see, are very devoted. And they were left sort of bereft. And then someone named R showed up and started, started giving clues. And they said, oh, well, maybe, you know, this is the new guy to follow. And they posited that, posited that R was uh, the JFK, uh, John F. Kennedy Jr., who, of course, died nearly two decades ago. Uh, and then Q came back and said, don't trust that guy. You know, like with any conspiracy theory, you know, you end up with a lot of factions. So does this have anything to do with the, the Pizzagate? folks that people believed, you know, there are people, Democrats or Hillary Clinton or others running a pedophile ring in a pizza parlor basement? Absolutely. QAnon is in a way sort of like a more respectable mega pizza gate. Uh, you know, a, a key part of QAnon is this idea that Trump is, you know, he's not just fighting against the deep state to the extent of like the intelligence agencies or the Clintons. He's fighting against as, what they believe to be global pedophile networks of the amongst the elites all over the world. Uh, so, it, again, it's they have no evidence for this. It's really crazy stuff. Uh, but but they've kind of folded Pizzagate and a lot of other conspiracies into this sort of giant conspiracy theory. And, and I understand that some people believe that the president has given them secret signs like that. Uh, the way he holds his hand or puts some fingers together, he's forming the letter Q during speeches. Is that right? Yeah. So they're they're like obsessed with, as we saw in the video, getting some sort of validation from Trump that Q is real. 
Uh, and so, like, they'll, they'll look at videos and they'll say maybe he's moving his hand in a way that's like a Q or if he mentions the no- number 17, which, of course, Q is the 17th letter in the alphabet, they see that as a sign. They've been asking a lot of White House reporters to ask Trump about Q. Uh, it doesn't seem like anyone has taken them up on their offers, but, but they seem to feel that, that this, you know, if, tr- if Trump was asked about it, they, they, they're convinced he would say, oh, yeah, it's all real. Does anyone seem to know who the person Q actually is or if it is a, a you know, one person or if it's groups of people? Q's identity right now is very mysterious. Uh, you know, whether it's one person, a group of people, uh, you know, maybe a foreign operative. Uh, you know, there's a lot of theories going around, but really nothing that I, that I think uh, is worth considering. You know, I, I think perhaps it's maybe just a, a troll or a couple trolls in a basement somewhere and this whole thing's gotten out of hand. So the core, just uh, can you just explain again the core belief? Because the whole international pedophile ring it, it linked with the deep state, and Robert Mueller's actually working with President Trump. I mean, it's all, um, you know, outlandish. Yeah, it's very confusing. I mean, sort of the and, and it's constantly growing. Like, sort of with the with the, something will happen in the news, and they'll claim, oh, the deep state tried to shoot down Air Force One. Uh, sort of the gist of it is that Trump has teamed up with the military and sort of various virtuous world leaders, including Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong Un, to take on this global cabal of Democrats and Hollywood elites and bankers and all this kind of stuff, who they claim are essentially responsible for all the evil in the world. And soon, Trump will have all these people arrested. William Summer, I uh, appreciate your reporting. It's uh, fascinating stuff. I appreciate it. I want to check in with Chris to see what he's working on for Cuomo Primetime at the top of the hour. Chris? Hey, look, like every other fringe group, they can believe whatever they want. It's what they do in the name of those beliefs uh, that raises concern, just like fringe groups on the left and others on the right. That's why we're keeping an eye on it. That was a good interview to have, uh, Anderson. We're going to be taking on the news tonight uh, from a legal and a political perspective. we got Governor Kasich on the show. we got former AG Mukasey on the show. So we're going to be testing out a lot of different theories of what's going on with the Russia probe and what needs to happen in the next set of elections. And then we're going to take a look at what the Pope said about the death penalty and what it means to be pro-life and how a lot of people who may think they're pro-life may not meet the standard according to the Pope. Hmm, Interesting. Uh, About eight and a half minutes from now. Chris, thanks very much. Up next, the search is on for this man who police say shot and killed a famed cardiologist. According to investigators, he held a grudge against the doctor, carried out a brazen execution on a bicycle in broad daylight. The police are looking for information about this person. More details ahead in a moment. Hey, it's Howard Beck, and I've got former NBA champion and current Yes analyst Richard Jefferson on Bleacher Report's The Full 48. For me, winning the championship just validated, you know, me from a standpoint of, like, all I ever wanted to do was win. All I ever wanted to do was win on a high, high level. And so to get that, then it just made everything feel like it was worth it. The Full 48 is now available on Spotify. And, of course, you can always listen and subscribe on the Bleacher Report app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. There's a manhunt in Houston, Texas tonight. Police are looking for a man accused of killing a renowned cardiologist who wants to perform surgery on former President George H.W. Bush. The doctor was gunned down on his way to work at a hospital. He and the gunman were both riding bicycles. When their paths crossed, the gunman opened fire. This is the suspect caught on surveillance video just before the deadly attack. With more on the manhunt and the crime, here's CNN's Ed Lavendera. Houston investigators say as soon as Joseph Papa suspected that investigators were closing in on him, he jumped on his 10-speed Schwinn bicycle, pedaled away from his neighborhood, and disappeared. Police Chief Art Acevedo says there's a sense of urgency to capture the 62-year-old murder suspect. He's, he's in great shape. 
Uh, he's a great marksman, and uh, he's a great danger, so let's hope that uh, somebody knows where he's at and calls us. Investigators believe Papa's motive for killing Dr. Mark Hoskinect was a grudge he's held for more than 20 years. That's when the suspect's mother died during surgery while being operated on by Hoskinect. On the morning of July 20th, Dr. Hoskinect was riding his bicycle down this sidewalk. His wife says investigators told her that the gunman emerged from this scaffolding head on and fired at him three times. It was a brazen attack. It occurred at the height of morning rush hour on this busy street. Perhaps the gunfire was muzzled by the sounds coming from this construction site. But police say it was a well thought out and planned attack. So much so that it allowed the gunman to ride away on his own bicycle this way as if nothing had happened. Chief Acevedo tells CNN evidence found inside Papa's home shows the murder was painstakingly planned. This man was actually uh, studying this doctor, studying what he was doing for a while. And uh, it took uh, great planning and ultimately great skill to do what he did. And I'm just thankful that we now know who he is. And now with the help of the public and our great investigators, we'll we'll find him. One way or the other, we're going to find him. Joseph Pappas spent 30 years working in law enforcement as a constable in Houston. He started a real estate business several years ago. That's where he paid our bill. Joe Donaldson owns a legal courier business, and he says he spoke to Joseph Pappas just before the murder. Pappas hired Donaldson to file legal documents in a Houston courthouse. The documents transferred the deed for his Houston home to a woman in Ohio. Donaldson says after leaving, Papas called him multiple times that morning to make sure the documents were filed. He was very nervous. He opened the door to a crack looking out, and then he opened it a little more. Then he looked, opened it fully and was looking up and down the street, seeing if anyone else was there. For days, Joseph Papas stayed around his Houston home. One neighbor even says he was seen mowing his lawn this past Sunday morning before disappearing when police first checked on his home on Tuesday night. And Ed joins us now from Houston. So what are investigators worried about, given his law enforcement background? You know, multiple things. And if he might try to, you know, carry out a similar attack or, 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 or want to, you know, he's very skilled at uh, being able to handle the firearm, that sort of thing. But one of the other concerns is that uh, he might somehow still have access to police radio scanners and being able to monitor the manhunt for him. The police chief here in Houston tells me that that is one thing that they are concerned about and they're, they're, lo- they're looking into it uh, and how they handle the search for him. And, and they're assuming he's still armed and dangerous? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, the police chief says that uh, they uh, have, inf- you know, no reason to believe that he isn't armed and dangerous at this point, given what he's already done. The other thing is, is that they have uh, talked to somebody uh, close to uh, Pappas uh, who told police that he received a text uh, from uh, Pappas se- several days ago uh, that he might want to commit suicide. So he's uh, police either believe he's suicidal or uh, dangerous. So mm. uh, police don't know exactly what they're dealing with. And that's what makes them concerned. Anderson. Ed, Ed Levender, I appreciate the update. Thank you. Quick reminder, don't miss our daily interactive newscast on Facebook called Full Circle. You can see it weeknight, 625 p.m. Eastern, facebook.com slash Anderson Cooper Full Circle. News continues. I want to hand it over to Chris. Cuomo Primetime starts right now. Chris. 
Are you ready to learn how to build a better consulting or professional services company? Then download the Liston.io show for the best sales and marketing advice so you can deliver your services to the people who need you the most. On the show, I'll be interviewing the smartest people in the industry to share what they know about building a better consulting business. I'll also give you episodes where I tell you specifically how to sell your services with confidence and how to transform into an influential leader in your industry. Your happy clients probably want to help you. It's too hard for them right now. You're asking them to do too much of the selling that you should be doing. Yeah, it's going to move. It's going to change. It's going to disrupt you at some point in time. Your most loyal clients are your most profitable. Ready to learn how other people are building the consulting company you've always wanted? Download the Liston.io show spelled L-I-S-T-O-N dot I-O wherever you get your podcasts. Before you go, we wanted to let you know that we just launched the ability for anyone to advertise on CNN Podcasts. You're just a few clicks away from reaching millions of people in a way that you never have before. Advertise for a business event or kick off an awareness campaign for your brand. Start today at purewinning.com slash CNN. Integrating podcasts into your marketing mix has never been easier. Go to purewinning.com slash CNN to get started.